All right. So it's good to be here. Are you glad to be here? Always. Um, this evening, of course, we continue through the, our study in the book of Leviticus. We're uh, continuing with uh, God's instructions to the priesthood to be holy. We're in Leviticus chapter 22. And, um, but just before we get into our study this evening, I uh, just want to uh, just make a mention. We do have a baptism coming up this Sunday. And it'll be after service. Uh, it'll be locally here at uh, our uh, in in Grand Terrace at, at someone's house, uh, someone that's a part of this church, and so we'll have it there. Um, I know we have a foundations class, so it's going to be we'll we'll go straight into the foundations class after service, and then from there, um, you know, you'll have enough time to head on over to the the actual baptism. But just so you know, that's what's going on this Sunday. All right, so again, our study continues through the book of Leviticus, and um, the title of this evening's message is uh, No Dead Cows. No Dead Cows. Um, Seems like a funny title, right? But um, but you'll understand what that is referencing uh, once we get to the final portion of our study this evening, and... um, and in fact, you, you probably will get it as we go along our study itself. So let's, first of all, go before, before the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to just stir us up, Lord, to, um, and, and give us that desire, Lord, to walk in a manner that is fitting for a child of God, to bring you glory, that we would always have before us uh, grace, your grace, salvation through Jesus Christ. It wasn't anything that we earned. It wasn't anything that we merited by any way, shape, or form. But it was all by your grace. And it was done by you. What, What we have this evening, Father, is another type, another foreshadowing of the substance that we know is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what we have before us. Lord, that perhaps something in our lives needs to to be spoken to this evening. And in other areas, Lord, we need your strengthening, uh, your word to bolster us up, Father, that we would stand without wavering on your word. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so no dead cows. No dead cows. What we offer to God is important. What we offer to Him. How we offer what we offer to God is also important. Uh, we see that throughout the book, the book of Leviticus. We see that throughout Scripture. It's not worshiping God in any way that we feel we want to or we need to, but it is in a prescribed way that the Lord sets before us how to worship Him. Um, That's not something that's left for us to decide how to do or when to do it even. We need to consider God's holiness and righteousness. And it is critical to our worship of our God. To have reverence for that which God has set apart unto himself and for his use is important also. 
All of it together. For instance, his bride. The Lord's bride is the church. Uh, one of the things that I believe is lacking in today's um, church, you could say, is, is that reverence and that respect um, that I know is in other denominations. And I say denominations because of what I see, the, the whole robes, and you see everything, how they dress up and the way they do things in an orthodox manner. And by the way, there are quite a few of our youths that are returning to orthodox um, faiths, such as Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox. You know, there's, there's that. Why? Because I believe that that reference, in part, that is missing within the Protestant church. I believe that because we've been saying for a long time, just come as you are, we've also stayed as we are, and we worship as we are, and, and we've lacked that, that uh, work of sanctification that the Lord desires in our lives. As you get closer to the Lord, I know that many of people who have studied God's Word, as they drew closer to the Lord in His Word and really understood who He is, they realized, oh, I am but a wretched sinner. In fact, I am the chief of all sinners. You realize just how, as you get closer to the Lord, how far away you are from Him, in the sense to where there's no way that you could have ever won that place with Him. There's no way you could have ever come to a place of doing things with utmost perfection consistently. There's no way. We should have that reverence. We should have that complete commitment and devotion to him. I read something here recently as to why it is that uh, it was a question on Facebook from one of the pastors. And he asked, why do you think, and he asked, he put this out, why do you think that people don't come on a consistent basis all year round? And there there were all kinds of questions or answers to that question. And one of the things that um, Bettina and I, my wife and I, were going over, uh, in fact, last night, is, is the one thing, I believe the one thing that will keep you from being consistent with the Lord and coming in fellowship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is a matter of some, but doing so even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching, is devotion, your devotion life. I can see over and over and over again how it is if there's not that genuine, true, devotional life in someone's life, consistently day in and day out, that you lose touch. It's easier to kind of slide back into complacency. And then as that happens, you just completely lose connection with the church. All of a sudden, you have this different perspective of what it is and the people in it. And... You all of a sudden miss a Sunday, you miss a Wednesday, you start missing, and it's no big deal after a while. And then all of a sudden, you come on Christmas and Easter. And, and I know that that happens, because I is one. I, I was one of those people who I found myself in that place years ago. But that's how it happened. My devotional life lacked, and it was easier to go in that direction. Reverence. Reverence for the Lord. That means complete commitment. There's devotion to Him. And again, we see that throughout the Bible, specifically here in Leviticus, how it is that 
If holiness was a requirement and a standard for the people, certainly it was that for the priests, for those who were serving the Lord. So we continue this evening with a command to be holy and to hold to that standard. Not for spiritual pride, not for bragging rights, but because God is holy, simply because of that. It's a response, and we are His. And so, with that, we ought to act like children of God. And these are some of the ways that were laid out for the priests in this time, during the the time that Moses was laying out the law in Leviticus to the priesthood, of how it is that they were going to maintain purity, holiness before the Lord. So let's go into our text. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Let, let's stop there for a moment. Uh, we're talking about ceremonial purity. How it is not an option. It was not an option for the priests. This is what they were given to. Ordained by God to perform, to serve Him. They were to be representatives of Him to the people and the people to Him. So that was a critical position you could say in responsibility amongst God's people now let's talk about this thing that God was telling them should not happen and that is um, this ought to not take place so for them not to profane his name Uh, profane as I started out uh, it can also um, interchangeably mean irreverence calling something common, which is sacred, to desecrate, to be disrespectful, all of those things. So this means that there would be a lack of respect towards something or someone. Something or someone that should be taken seriously is not. Again, I I look at the day and age in which we live in, and I find that that is running rampant. It's, uh, It's something that we have within our families in fact, today, just before I came, I was at, I was watching my son play baseball, and I was listening to this, this man speak to another one, and I'm telling you that sometimes two in a row, but maybe, maybe every other word or every fourth word was, he dropped the F-bomb. It was like, boom, 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 and I was thinking, number one, we're at a park. Um, you know, we have kids all around. Um, but then what happened was that his kids came up, and I thought, oh, he's going to stop. I was in my truck. I could face the field, and so I just had my windows rolled down, and I was kind of looking over these verses while the kids warmed up, you know. Well, as his kids came up with, it, with their dog and, and all of that, he didn't stop. It, it just continued on like as if they weren't there. And how often I see this. And why is it that our kids have no reverence, no respect 
no honor for authority. Their parents, they treat them just like they were one of the homies, you know, and, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Even the Lord, he, say, he says that he disciplines those whom he loves. There's like this lack of love now that's being demonstrated to our children. And we wonder why it is that things are upside down. It's because of that very thing. And then we come to church, right? And we get saved. And we start growing with the Lord. And at some point, at times we get so relaxed, so complacent, that that kind of resurfaces. In fact, we were just talking about how it is that BC, the things that happened before we came to Christ, how it is that they're still there. And they can surface if we're not careful. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be vigilant. Because those things creep up. We need, we need to make sure that we, we submit them to the Lord. Each thought that comes along, capture it. Give it to the Lord. Capture it. Give it to the Lord. It's for Him. That, that is restraint. That is wisdom. That is discernment. Knowing to do the right thing. Is not just knowledge, but it's actually godly wisdom. So there's this lack of respect. And God is saying this is not to be done or it profanes my name. Even something that is sacred is treated as if it is common. Now, in respect to what we have before us, these first three verses make it very clear that what God requires to be kept as a standard of ceremonial purity by the priest is not to be taken lightly. Do not take it lightly. To receive a sacrifice from the people or perform an offering while being ceremonially unclean was unacceptable and was to be uncharacteristic of the manner in which God is served and worshipped by the people, and even more so the priests. You see, these standards are both laid out for the Israelites, but the priests were held to a higher standard. Just like as we look at the requirements of a bishop or a deacon, as Paul wrote to Timothy, you know that those standards are applied to each and every one of us too, we should all be above reproach ourselves. They're all there. But even more so, for the man who has been ordained to serve the Lord. That's what he's laying before these priests. He's, he's saying, this is a standard. It's not optional. Take this very seriously. We need to remember that the old covenant was... A, a covenant of shadows and types, which pointed forward to the glorious new covenant, which in Christ is the substance of the shadows and types. Colossians two sixteen and 17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, 
For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So it's important. Hey, this is a, this is a type. This is a shadow pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And it was very clear that to not heed God's word would come with serious consequences. It was commanded by God the manner in which he was to be approached. See, that's why I'm saying is he prescribed the manner in which we are to worship him. There are no options. This is, this is the, the manner in which he is to be worshipped. The way he is to be approached. And Israel needed to know this. Today I believe the church needs a sobering reminder that God is love and he is compassionate. Yes, he is. But he is also holy and righteous. His worship and praise and the whole service unto him is to be approached again in a reverent and sacred manner. Understanding who it is that we are before, lifting our voices, hands, hearts, and our very lives to. Again, even some of the, the things that are discussed and, and, uh, and talked about, and even some of the, the joking uh, within the church, I, I tell you, and I'm not telling you this to be uh, a prude or, you know, you guys know I, I like to have fun. Those of you who know me, I like to have fun and all that. But we also need to be mindful of how it is. I mean, coarse jesting, the Bible is very clear. That shouldn't even be uh, in the presence of the person who is a child of God. And yet, I hear coarse jesting. There are things that are said that, oh, wow, that's just, you know, it's, it's not right. So we need to be mindful. Again, this is the body of Christ. Remember what we are here. We should be an example to other people coming in. You know, looking and saying there's something different about them. And yet they are so confident and at peace. They have this great joy. They're not like the world. That's the beauty of it. Is that as children of God, he tells us that we are a peculiar people. We are set apart. Set apart from the world and set apart unto him. For his glory. To bless his name. Let's continue, verse 4. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has had an, uh, an emission of semen and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beast and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear sin for it and die. Thereby... When they profane it, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. <clears throat> now, some of the details of this uh, we have gone over previously as far as um, 
touching that which is dead, um, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, what we have before us is basically this is what causes you to be spoiled for service for the priests. And, and that's, again, what he wanted to make very clear. The Lord to the priesthood. These are the very things that spoil a priest to serve and even to partake of the food of the tabernacle. We need to note that experiencing the things in these verses did not absolutely and permanently disqualify a priest from serving. But it was only a momentary, a momentary um, uncleanness, a ceremonial uncleanness that the priest would experience. And yet, they were called to do certain things in order to be deemed ceremonially clean. They were to entirely bathe. Remember uh, in the in, uh, recent uh, chapters how it was that they needed to wash their clothes as well. They needed to remain in, uh, in, in that state of ceremonial uncleanness until the evening. Once the evening came, once the sun went down, then they were fine. And by the way, the new day begins at sunrise or sundown. For us, you know, a new day begins in the morning, right? The sun comes up, ah, it's, it's a new day. Now, Passover, Passover was on what day? It was Monday, right? On the Jewish calendar. You guys don't have those calendars, like desk calendars? They tell you everything. <laughs> it, it was Monday. I, I say Monday, it's actually, actually Tuesday. So Monday night, so as soon as the sun goes down on Monday night, it's actually considered Tuesday. Okay? So Tuesday starts... For us, Monday night, as soon as the sun goes down, and it goes all the way through the next day, and into Tuesday. As the sun goes down, hey, we're into Wednesday. So today, as the sun goes down, we're going from Wednesday to Thursday, all this evening. So as soon as the sun went down for these priests, if they bathed themselves, if they washed their clothes, they would be considered to be, at that point, ceremonially clean. They were good to go. There were a few areas of scripture that came to mind in regards to this situation. In John chapter 13, verses 1 through 12, we have this time in which Jesus washed the disciples' feet. When he came to Peter, you remember what he did? Peter initially forbade Jesus from washing his feet Unto which Jesus replied and said, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And he said, Oh, <laughs> then wash my hands and wash my head. And Jesus said, Well, well, you know, you don't need to be, you've already been bathed. The only thing you need is just your feet washed. Which brings us to 1 John 1.19 or 1.9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which even as we look back, this, this is why as we look at the law, as we take a look at what God laid out for the Israelites, 
in, in its entirety, again, we realize some foreshadowing there. A, a type of what was to come. But we see so much of God's grace, even in that state of uncleanness. God said, this is the way to be ceremonially clean. You could never cleanse yourself enough to be clean before me. But to be able to serve me. Once more, just do these things. It's a type of what's, what's to come. And it's going to be completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see God's grace. We see his mercy. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, it says, They, his mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Not our faithfulness. We are faithless. We miss the mark time and time again, don't we? But his mercies are new every morning. And he is faithful. And how great is his faithfulness. So we see that even here. In Leviticus. Let's continue. Verse 10. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it. And anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, uh, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Yet no layperson shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the, the people of Israel which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Again, this is a command that, that was given to the priesthood. This all has to do with the partaking of portions of these offerings in the home of a priest. We see here uh, what, what the people who are referenced are the slaves, children, women given in marriage, but also in the case of them being divorced or even widowed. Again, these offerings were considered to be sacred, holy, and set apart unto the Lord. And by the way, by the Lord, they were set apart. For this reason, they were not to be treated as common, again, in an irreverent manner. To allow these to take place within the home of a priest would be just that. And it would fall on the priest. Even this is a a great lesson for the way a home should be structured. You know... A man, a husband and a wife, the husband is the head. And he, by the way, takes full responsibility for what goes on in that home and what does not go on. I, re- I remember a story, and I've shared it some time before. Um, I remember this one uh, gentleman that had, uh, he loved castles, and he was vid- visiting some castles and taking a tour of castles out in Europe. And, and uh, the tour guide... You know, they came to this one castle and, and they had, it was beautiful. 
um, second story and was, it was just gorgeous, the whole inside, everything. But what he noticed was this gentleman is that there was only one staircase that was going up, just one, and it was narrow. It's like such a big castle. And there's only one stairwell going up, one set of stairs. It just seems weird. Why isn't there this regal, you know, wide staircase going up right through the middle? And so he asked the tour guide, you know, why, why the thin and only one staircase going up to the second story of this beautiful castle? And he said, well, it was common in those days for these castles to be raided. And the best way that they could defend themselves is by building just that one staircase, which was narrow like that. You see, in the case of a raid, everyone went upstairs. And when everyone was upstairs, all the people could be easily defended by just a few people along the staircase, knocking those who were invading down. One of the applications of that is that sometimes we are, you know, as husbands, we, we are very smart and we retreat, we retreat quickly to the second story. There's only one narrow staircase going up and only one person fits at a time. And sometimes our wives are there trying to make way, trying to make it to the second story. But, but we, we, we can kind of ward them off pretty easily. All the while, the wife is looking back and saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And all the time he's saying, get down, only one of us fits on here. Only one of us fits. That can be applied in so many different ways. But I remember that, that how that applied to our marriage. My wife is sitting right back here, and she oftentimes uh, will duck. You know, it's, it's, it's good for wives. Wives, duck. The Lord wants to do something, and sometimes he wants to smack us, <laughs> right? As husbands. I know that all too well. All, we have to, all our wives need to do is just, just duck in a spiritual manner, in a loving way, and, and allow us to get straightened up by the Lord. He does a much better job of doing that. Just pray for us. The whole point of that is the home is headed up by the man. We are the priests of our homes. We are the pastors of our homes. And we ought to take that place seriously. Just as these priests were given a standard by the Lord, hey, listen, you're responsible for making sure that no common thing is, or no sacred thing is called common and treated as in such a way. You see, children are covered by the father in the home and were allowed to eat of the offerings that the priest was allowed to eat. It was the responsibility of the priest to make sure these standards were kept. Now we know at that time that slaves were not seen by the Jews the same way that American history tells us slaves were viewed here in this country and treated here. The slaves in this time were treated as part of the household, as you can say, as part of the family of the priest and could eat of the holy things, whether the slave was purchased from outside the home or born inside the home, they were taken in as family. This did not apply 
to foreigners, those who were just passing by, any temporary help, this did not apply to them. They were not to eat of this food, of the holy things. And then he references, the Lord references a priest's daughter. If she marries a layman, that is, all this means is a non-priest. All right? So if his daughter would marry a non-priest, then she would no longer be able to partake of the holy things of her father because she was now under the covering of another man who was not a priest. But if she divorced or widowed, she could come back home if she didn't have children and partake of the holy things just as before when she was growing up. Again, it was God who set these offerings apart unto himself, and they were holy. Man was not to call common that which God has made holy. Let's continue verse 10. Or, I'm sorry, verse uh, 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, in all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offering that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you." And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be accepted, acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But she, you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord." Number one, what we see here is, um, is what is acceptable. And really the bottom line is a male, perfect, unblemished. That's really the, the thing that God is establishing over and over and over again, it's repeated. That's the only thing that's acceptable. Perfect, unblemished. Perfect, unblemished. We also need to realize, though, what is unacceptable. Well, it's the opposite, right? Imperfect, blemished, lame, mutilated, sick, 
These, these are the things that are not acceptable to offer to the Lord. Now, what we need to note here also, as we did in the last section of Scripture, is that this was a command to the people, but it was the priest's responsibility to inspect the offering and make sure that it met God's standard of worship. Interesting. I mean, it wasn't, hey, you bring whatever you bring, and whatever you bring to me, I'll go ahead and sacrifice and offer it to the Lord. Mm -mm. It was, you bring me this, and it is my responsibility to go ahead and inspect what it is that you're bringing and tell you whether it's acceptable or no, it's rejected. This is, this is not right. You're bringing an animal that is blemished. There, there's, there are some things wrong with it. It's, it's sick. Look at it. You know, all these things. It was the priest's responsibility but the people at the same time shouldn't be bringing something to the priest that, you know, trying to get something over on them to just give them something, uh, an animal like that, to offer. You see, God didn't want the leftovers or castoffs from the people. He didn't want it then. And I tell you, He doesn't want it today. He doesn't want it now. The saying, one man's junk is another man's treasure may be true for people here on earth, but not when it comes to God. To him, junk is junk. And we know it. The people of Israel knew it. God gave us his best. He did not hold anything back. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he, he sent him to be a sacrifice for you and I in our place. He gave us his very best. He gives us his very best. The sacrifices that we give to him, that we offer, should not be leftovers or castoffs, but the best of what we have to offer. And this is, this is one of those things that as I, as I saw the standard, and by the way, this isn't the first time that it's laid out. It's been throughout the book of Leviticus. To bring only that which is unblemished before the Lord. This is a, the way, the standard of worshiping God. In today's church, Oftentimes we're, like I said earlier, you know, we're giving him second best. We're like just giving him our leftover time. Even like our worship when we're at church, it's kind of like it's just there. If we have time, we'll read. If we don't, we just don't. Your prayer time, all of that. And it's interesting because I, I know that as we go through certain areas of Scripture, that, that there's this deep conviction that comes upon us. And I say us because I include myself in there. And it's uncomfortable. God's sanctifying work is never comfortable. You see, He's trying to refine us. He's trying to cut away things that should not belong. 
Help us to see things rightly. And sometimes we insist. You know, if you're set in your ways before the Lord, um, you, you either give or you, you're going to break. You have to be humble before a holy and righteous God. Because he's doing this work. Sometimes we're, when we're not giving to the Lord, as far as giving, submitting to him, being humble before him, what happens is, and I've seen it, is people don't like, you know, what is being taught. And really, I'm just the messenger boy. That, that's all I am. Okay, this is the, the word of God. And what happens is, so they get more people who are like-minded with them and would like to do things in their own way. And I, I would have to say compromise. I'm not just, I'm saying in the church in general. And they go and have a gathering themselves and, and they go and they please the flesh. They do things in an entertaining way. They omit certain things that they don't think um, should be taught and uh, are offensive or things like that. And they even create their own denominations. And so, you know, that happens within the church. But that ought not be the case with the children of God. We should humbly come before him, surrender to him, submit to his lordship, and just completely be moldable by him. For his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We need to understand that and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we know that the practice of the priest, the priesthood, checking on the sacrificial offerings was actually abused during Jesus' time. The priest would be sitting there and they would inspect the animals as they were being brought in for sacrifice for the offerings and they would disqualify them for the most insignificant things. Then require them to buy a sacrificial animal from them at very high prices. You can take a look at Matthew chapter 21 for that. References that. But that was not what God had in mind when he gave this responsibility to the priesthood. If anyone was to be honest and upright, have integrity, was the priesthood. You bring the animal, you bring that which you're going to offer, I'll inspect it, I'll be genuine with you, I'll tell you whether it's acceptable or not. That's it. This very command was another foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the unblemished Lamb, perfect, without spot, sinless, which was the only acceptable sacrifice for the sin of the world. The only one who could, as he said from the cross, it is finished, and it was completely finished. The other two situations that were pointed out here at the very final portion of this section is number one that a calf less than eight days old was not acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, it was to remain with the mother. And number two, sacrificing an animal and its offspring uh, on the same day was not acceptable either. Those two um, were laid out as well. So, and we're going to move on because we we have just a little bit more to cover. With that, the sacrifice of thanksgiving was to be eaten in the day it was offered, though I do have to point that out. 
the, this was the offer of, or the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, remember as we uh, look back at the sacrifices that this sacrifice, this offering, was one of um, fellowship with the Lord. And so it was this fellowship that was to be partaken of in that same day. There is to be uh, no old fellowship that we kind of cling to. It wasn't to be left for the next day. Hey, that next day, there was a whole set of new Thanksgiving offerings given to the Lord and joyfully uh, in fellowship with Him. Um, enjoy that. But it was for each day. It wasn't to be left over. Again, a foreshadowing of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Every day, a day of devotion uh, for Him, with Him, abiding in Him. As we see that no one that does not, anyone who does not abide in Jesus Christ, it's an ongoing relationship, um, you know, can do anything. Can do anything. We start to rely on the flesh. So this was something that was looking forward to our fellowship with the Lord. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So that was referred to also. All right. So then we come to basically the summary. There's quite a bit in this summary. So verse 31 says, So, or therefore, you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Everything that's been commanded is to be done because, and he lays it out in these few verses. Number one, and he said that several times throughout this chapter, he says, I am the Lord. For that simple reason, that, that should be the, the, only, the only thing that we, can, that we have here. I am the Lord. But he says more. Number one, He is the Lord. He is God. He is Lord. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He knows all things. He's in all places at all times. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He is the Lord. He is the creator of the universe. Secondly, He says, Don't profane my holy name. Don't profane his holy name. Don't misrepresent who God is with common things. Take that to heart, church. Don't profane his name. Don't disrespect. Don't be irreverent toward his name by being caught up with the common things. I'm not talking about religious pride. I'm talking about you, your person, don't get all wrapped up with the world because it's profaning God's name. Thirdly, he says, God is to be set apart unto his people by his people. It's one of those things that for us, it's pretty amazing that he gives that responsibility to us and he will hold us accountable. He is to be set apart unto us in a willing and receptive manner. 
openly, willfully, among his people. It's amazing that he even has to say this. Am I welcome among you? Am I here? And that is going back and making sure that we are reverent toward him. That we are considering him above all else. If we were to just stop right there and take care of those things within the church itself, there would be no real issues. Because we would always consider him above ourselves. You angry at someone else? Mm, What does the word of God say? We ought to forgive. We are to esteem others as more valuable than ourselves. Or consider others more valuable than ourselves. To esteem them higher. Right? There's so much that if we were to just consider him, there's no way that we couldn't move forward by God's grace and cover all things truly with love. Not ignoring them, but dealing with them in a way that God would be honored and glorified. Fourthly, he says, God sanctifies his people. He does that work. God has set the people apart unto himself and he sanctifies his people. There's this this work that he's doing in the life of each and every person. And it's a beautiful work if you submit to him. It's like that clay on the potter's wheel. Just stay on there. Just stay. Don't move. He puts in his thumb here. Puts in another instrument there. And and he's making you into this beautiful vessel that can be used by him. He desires to do that. But he sanctifies his people. And fifthly, God delivered the people from Egypt to be their God. This was a a reminder. Guys, remember, I delivered you from bondage in Egypt. By the way, that's a picture of the world. I delivered you. But listen, I didn't deliver you from Egypt so that you could go all over the world and and just do whatever and partake of the world out there. No, no, no. I, I delivered you from Egypt so that I could be your God. And this is the summary. This is all of these things are there because of this. Therefore, don't give him leftovers. In response to this, don't give him leftovers. Don't give him the lame. Don't give him the blind. Don't give him the cast-offs. The things that are leftovers for us. I have a closing story. I remember reading, uh, hearing this story some time ago. But it's a, it's a story perhaps that you have heard. The story of a farmer whose cow, after a long and arduous labor, gave birth to twins. He ran into the farmhouse to give the news to his wife who reminded him of the goodness of God and encouraged him to give one of the calves to the Lord. He agreed immediately, but it took him a little time to make the decision as to which calf he would give to the Lord and which one would remain his. After a few weeks of deliberating, of thinking about this, one of the young cows fell ill and the faithful farmer spent the night caring for it. 
Early the next morning, the farmer entered the house and with a long face, he was sad and was met by his wife who asked what happened. And with a voice filled with sorrow, he responded, the Lord's calf died. It's a story I'll never forget. But it illustrates this very thing that the Lord was telling them was unacceptable is still unacceptable. It's more blessed to give than to receive, especially unto the Lord. Oh, what a blessing. And to, to learn that principle in our lives is awesome. It, it, it is truly awesome to give our best at church, to give our best at home. Malachi chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It says this, By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? By the way, this is, this is a rebuke of the priesthood. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? It was a rebuke. It was a very, the same people that we're talking about here, that the Lord had commanded them to not give the lame, blind, sick, mutilated, don't, don't, don't give this. They were doing that very thing in the day of Malachi. And the Lord gave them a word, rebuked them. This is exactly what they were doing. May, they, may, may that not be what's happening with God's people. I, and that's why I prayed at the very beginning that we, in our lives, I hope the Lord just reveals certain things. Hey, you know what? Maybe that, that isn't the best thing to offer to the Lord. Our whole lives are an offering to the Lord. What is it that may be a dead cow in your life that you're offering to the Lord? I pray that you just give him the very best. And that you don't take three weeks or even a month. That whatever it is that God has revealed to you right now in this time, that you just repent of it, you give it to him, and you ask him to help you as you move forward. And he will, by God's grace, he will help you. Father, we praise you, we love you. And I pray that you would help us to demonstrate that love to you. Your word tells us that if we love you, then we will obey your commandments. Lord, it's not a religious act. It's not because we have to. But I pray it's, that it's because we desire to. We want to bless you. We want to honor you. We want to demonstrate reverence toward you. Understanding that our very lives we owe to you. Because you gave us eternal life through your son Jesus Christ. As we have surrendered our lives to you. And so, inspect our lives. Reveal to us anything that we've been giving to you, giving to you that is second best, leftovers, and, and just not worthy of, of giving unto you. And Lord, let, let us lie, lay those things aside and give you the best in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the holy and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.